This morning we learned about what it means to be a missional church. That term today is thrown around a little bit. Missional, what does that mean? There are lots of books written on missional church and what it means to be a missional church. Today we're going to discover what this looks like for us, primarily from the book of Matthew. If you'll take your Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 5. I know that usually there's a big screen right here and it uh, gives you all the words for the songs and then some notes for the scripture uh, passage and scripture passages that we read beginning and, and at the end of the service. We're not going to have that today. So you have the words to the music there on paper. The rest of the time together today, you just got to keep up. <laughs> All right? And uh, I'll try to uh, give you the passages and, and you'll have to flip around in your Bible or use your Bible app on your phone. But our key text today is going to be from Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. Uh, I'm going to read the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as... Uh, this section of the Sermon on the Mount recorded by Matthew starting in verse 13 Matthew chapter 5 you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless how will it be made salty again it is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in that house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, as we open up our hearts to your word today, Father, help us to receive it. Quiet our souls in this moment. Maybe our minds are distracted in a million places. Father, help us to, to draw near to you as you give us your word, your food, that you would in this moment, Lord, make us lie down in green pastures and drink of quiet waters. Restore our souls in this moment in ways that only you can. In Christ's name, amen. We have a threefold mission here at Grace Fellowship Church. Our mission statement is three rhythms. We've basically taken the great commandment and the great commission and we've drawn three habits or rhythms of what we see disciples, followers of Jesus in the early church in the New Testament, the way that we see them living out their lives. And they did that based on the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment was a horizontal focus and a vertical focus. Think of it in terms of the cross, if you want to, if you need a visual. The vertical is what we looked at last week, and that is worship devotion, our relationship to our Creator God who redeemed us through Christ. We have that vertical relationship with Him, but then we also live in the world today among other people. We have neighbors, we have family members, we have friends, we have people that we work with, people that we go to school with. And God tells us that we are to, that His people are to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And 
We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Vertical and horizontal. Somebody watching this on video, they might think I'm Catholic or something. I'm, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> so the first part of our mission statement, the first thing that we focus on is leaning into, this is horizontal, leaning into the lives of people. Leaning into the lives of people. The second part of our mission statement is the one that we looked at last week and that is looking up to God in worship and devotion. Looking up to God in worship and devotion. We learned about being careful in our worship. That the church is a gathering, is a group of people, is a community of not careless worshipers, but careful worshipers because primarily of the God that we worship. He is the one true holy God. And so we're not careless in our worship. Today we focus on that other part of our mission statement, leaning into the lives of people. Sometimes leaning into the lives of people can be messy. Can be inconvenient. Can be uncomfortable. But where would you be today and where would I be today if Jesus, if God himself did not lean into our lives in such a way that he took on flesh, incarnated himself, and was born in the lowest of all places and suffered the worst kind of death that you can imagine. The gospel is a picture of the way God has leaned into our lives and those, the Bible says, who are saved and born again by that grace also live by that grace as best we can to lean into the lives of other people. And then the third part of our mission statement is to live out our faith in Jesus Christ by making disciples. Now that's not the great commandment, that's the great commission found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. That's the great commission where Jesus tells his church, his disciples, every believer to go and make disciples. That's more than just intersecting the lives of non-believers. That's personally investing yourself into the lives of believers to disciple them, to raise them up is Paul says in Ephesians 4, so that the body of Christ has a maturity level that's becoming of Christ's body. So those are the three parts of our mission statement. And I want you to notice that all of these parts of our mission statement, to lean in, to look up, and to live out, are all intentional. They don't happen by accident. They, these are all intentional habits to form. These are all intentional activities to pursue. They will not happen automatically. Just as we discovered last week. You, you can't stumble into careful worship. Because in our flesh, the way that we are in our flesh, it, we're very careless in our worship. We think that God is impressed by the things that we do. That he's like humans, right? He's not. 
You can't stumble into careful worship and you can't and you will not ever stumble into intentional evangelism. It doesn't just happen. Sometimes Christians, we beat ourselves up because we're not gifted evangelists. Well, I, I, I don't have that gift. I'm not extroverted. I, I don't like to talk to people. It's never accidental. There are some people that do have the gift of evangelism. That do have the gift of maybe being like an apologetic type of person. They can, man, they, they love to jump in there and defend their faith and explain things. And, but you don't just stumble in it. It's a, it's a discipline. It's something we're commanded to do to intersect the lives of the people that are around us. Now, why do we say missional? Why do we say that the church is a missional community? We say this because not every Christian is a missionary. But every Christian is a missional disciple of Jesus. The Bible gives us a, a clear picture of who missionaries are. If you turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, we're going to look at chapter 13. As the fan blows all my pages around. Thank you, Emily. Acts chapter 13. Starting in verse 1, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, were down, they went down to, to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they also had John as their helper. So notice in this passage that missionaries are unique. They are sent by the Holy Spirit from a church. A church, a local church, recognizes Number one, that there's a need for missionaries to be sent out. And then, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guiding them, just like the Holy Spirit guides the congregations to choose from among itself elders to shepherd the church locally there, it also, the Holy Spirit also chooses missionaries to send out. Now you might hear in evangelical circles today or in sermons or Bible studies that every Christian is a missionary. The intent is good, it's just not 100% accurate. Because if everybody's a missionary, nobody's a missionary, right? Not everyone is a missionary. But every follower of Jesus Christ is to be missional. You are to be missional. So what, is that, what does that mean? Now, before we get into what it means to be missional, I want to focus on a couple of things. I want to point out a few things to you about missionaries and how our church is involved in missionary work. We are involved in a missionary sending network through something called the cooperative program with other Baptistic churches like us. 
and we send missionaries. Local congregations will send missionaries from their church. They will be commissioned with other churches and then they will go out. Most of the time these missionaries are sponsored full time. Because we cooperate with other churches, we're able to fund missionaries full time to where they can live in places like Southeast Asia, in places like Russia, South America, Central America, all around the world. They live there full time. They immerse themselves in the culture. They learn the language. They learn the culture so that they can train local people to share the gospel so that they can build churches, start Bible study groups. Some, and sometimes they even start seminaries and Bible colleges to train up local pastors. When you give to Grace Fellowship Church, a portion of our budget is sent out to those missionaries. We also have special offerings where we support missionaries. But you are a part of a wider network that does that. In 2022, that network recorded 728,589 people heard the gospel through those mission endeavors. 728,000 people heard the gospel in 2022 alone. There were 178,177 new believers through that work. Amen? There were 21,231 new churches planted. And the majority of those churches are not planted by American missionaries. They're planted by indigenous pastors and church planters in those regions. These missionaries have studied... They've gone through language school. They've given their life to live in a foreign place. To live among foreign people. Some of them stick out like sore thumbs because the color of their skin is different. But they're missionaries sent out by local churches to share the gospel. Much like Paul or Saul was here in Acts chapter 13. And we know Paul's story, don't we? You might have little maps in the back of your Bible that show different places where he went. Follow the red line. That's his first missionary journey. The blue one is his second. The green was his third or whatever. And you see how Paul went and was faithful to go from place to place because the church in Antioch sent him. But even though Paul was sent by this specific church, he didn't assume that as he went from church to church and he planted churches that the work was done and he would go from place to place. He would tell those churches in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, in Colossae, in Galatia. He would tell them, imitate me as I have imitated Christ. As I've made disciples out of you, you are to make disciples out of other people. I'm leaving I've got to go plant another church. But I'm not going to think that the disciple-making process has stopped because I'm leaving. Or that the mission of the church is stopped because I'm moving on to somewhere else. No. All of God's people are, are missional, are on mission. You may be wondering, well, how do, I, how do I become a missionary? How does someone become a missionary? Here are some steps that are very important. Number one, pray. Pray. If you think that the Lord might 
might. If, if, if you have a blank check for the Lord that you would just, I know some of you don't know what checks are, okay? If you have a blank check to lay before the Lord and, and, and that's where you are, you're like, you know, I don't know what God's going to do with my life. I don't have it all figured out. Pray and ask him, Lord, would you have me to be a missionary? To go where most other people don't go? To do what most other people don't do? Pray about it. Pray about it. And before you begin to prepare to go financially, give to mission work now. Start supporting other missionaries now. Get that taste in your mouth of what it means to go now. And then you can also go on short-term mission trips. I've been talking to another pastor in our network in Sedona. He's going to be doing two trips possibly next year, 2024, to Ghana and then one possibly to Costa Rica. I've been talking to him the last couple of weeks about the possibility of taking a group of people from our church to partner with a couple of other churches in our network to take a short-term mission trip, 10 days or so, to these different places. Pray about that. Because as our group of churches begins further in the process to think about those things, we want you to be praying about those things. So pray, give now, get involved now, pray for missionaries now, learn about what's going on around the world The word ecclesia, as we've discovered, means gathering or assembly. It occurs many times in the New Testament referring to the group called the way. The way. It's what people referred to, it's how people referred to the early church. The way of Jesus. Or the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembly. The church is the gathering. The church was in the first century AD the gathering of unique people who have one sure thing in common. You know what it is? It's not music style. It's not the style of dress. It's not the time at which they meet. They have one thing in common. That is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And because Jesus is my Lord, I meet with other people for whom Jesus is Lord. That's what brought the early church together. And it's what brings us together today. Jesus is Lord. So we're very unique from the rest of the world because most people in the world do not recognize Jesus as their Lord. And it changes everything, doesn't it? Their values, their ethics, the way they behave, the things they live for, the things they spend their money on. All of that, all of that differentiates the world from the church because of who our master is. Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon and money. We have Jesus as our Lord. It makes us unique. God has powerfully designed the church in this way so that it is markedly or that it is marked by unity and diversity. We are diverse and we can come together. Why? Because the common denominator is Jesus our Lord. Nothing else matters. 
The color of your skin doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. Your social status doesn't matter. Your favorite music or style of dress doesn't matter. Where you are in the world, who you vote for, doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus is Lord. This is the genius of the church's composition. In Ephesians 4, the Bible says, There is one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You get it? But then in the next couple of verses, Paul says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That is, we are all distinct. We are all distinct. Not only as members of the body for the body's sake. The Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Compares the church to a human body. I talk about that a lot, I know. But it's such a good illustration of the way that the body of Christ, the church, is to work. We're like members of a human body. All connected. We all have the same DNA. Jesus Christ is Lord. But we all have different functions, don't we? Right? The feet function differently than the hands. At least they're supposed to. The eyes function in a different way than the ears and the mouth. Arms and legs. We're all distinct. Not only as members of the body for the body, but also members of the body of Christ for the community. In the world community. He's gifted you not only in a special way to minister to the other members of this church body, but he's also gifted you in a special way to live on mission for him out in the world. Among those people that that don't share our common unity under the Lordship of Christ. So we have all been cast out like seeds onto different soils in the world as believers. We gather on the Lord's Day for fellowship, for worship in the Word, for prayer. But throughout the week, we are torchbearers, shining our light, bringing light and heat to a dark and cold world. That's God's intention for each one of us in the body of Christ. To go out. Here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus compares the people of God to salt and light. Do you see it? Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then he talks about the way that salt works and the way that light works. I love it that Jesus uses these very tangible things in our everyday world in our everyday lives that we can see what he's getting at an interesting and poignant aspect of salt and light is that their unique value and function cannot be realized in their native environments if you were to look in the little cabinet in our kitchen on the right-hand side of our stove. We've got two shelves at the very top. One of them that I can just barely grab, but they're full of spices. Different things that we like to season our food with. And you'll find things like garlic seasoning, onion seasoning, 
I have a big thing of Montreal steak seasoning. Anybody use that on your steaks, your burgers? And then I, if you look in there, you'll see what I like. And you'll know what I like because there are these big containers that are empty. And they have this much left. And I can't seem to use it all. Because I know when I use it all, I'll be out. So I'm just using a little bit at a time. And the one that, that I love the most is some I got in Texas at a barbecue place. It's called Chupacabra Seasoning. And it's a brisket seasoning that I dry rub briskets with. It's got a lot of pepper in it, kind of Texas style. A lot of pepper. And then I also season our pork roast with it when we do pulled pork. You can tell what's most precious because of what's empty. It's been used Right? That's the purpose. That's his purpose is to go on food. Right? Our value and our function cannot be realized in our native environments as salt and light. That is that we have to get out of our comfort zone. That means we have to go out as missional people into the world. We can't just talk about Jesus here. We have to talk about Jesus and we have to talk about what he's doing in our lives and what he's done out there in order to season the world. And we have to do it individually. Why do we have to do it individually? Because we, God has placed all of us in different places. I harp on this a lot and I know you probably get tired of me saying it. But God has placed you in a unique place a unique position. He's given you a certain son or daughter. He's given you a certain parent. Children, yes, you. As a missionary to your parent, absolutely. To your grandparents, to your co-workers. People that the rest of us don't know. He's put you in a specific neighborhood. He's put you on a certain sports team, in a certain school in a certain classroom, on a certain field. A grain of salt does not add flavor if it remains in the salt shaker. A torch or a flashlight used during the daytime outside has no identifiable value. Only when the torch is taken into a dark place does its unique value present itself. It lights up the darkness. This was God's intention for the Hebrews when he brought them out of the Egyptian house of slavery in the Old Testament. That they would be a light unto the nations of the world showing forth God's holiness, God's mercy, and God's love. We come to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 7. One of many powerful evangelistic messages preached by the apostles. If you've never read the whole thing, you need to. Today when you're at home, just read all of chapter 7. It's so powerful. In Acts chapter 7, we read of a man named Stephen. Stephen, like Peter and also like Paul, Paul does this as well, gives a 30,000 foot 
big picture overview of what in the world God has been doing. It's so good. And he delivers this message, this evangelistic message to a Jewish audience. So he's not telling them anything new that they didn't know when he talks about Israel's history. It's the way he interprets it and the way that he paints them within the story that they don't like. And the way he presents Jesus in that story. That Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. But they rejected him. Throughout the Old Testament it was God's intention As he delivered the Hebrews over and over from battles and from wars and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey that had walls they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant and cities that they didn't erect. It was his intention that they would be a light unto the nations of the world showing forth God's holiness, his mercy and his love. Here, Stephen reminds the Jews in Acts 7 of this very thing. God sent Stephen to relight their candles with the gospel and they killed him for it. I want you to notice something else that happens here in Acts chapter 7. Not just the message that Stephen preaches, but what happens afterward as you get to the end of chapter 7, when he finishes preaching the message, verse 55 says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into the heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, But they, that is the audience, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse and when they had driven him out of the city they began stoning him and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul and they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said Lord Jesus receive my spirit and falling on his knees he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Luke the historian records that they were so put off by Stephen's words that they placed their hands over their ears and they killed him immediately. The Bible says with one impulse, there was one thing driving them to kill Stephen. They didn't want to hear about Jesus anymore. They didn't want to hear the message of repentance anymore. Repent and live. This is what the Jewish audience asked Peter in Acts chapter 2. When he preached the same type of message. And Peter just says, he just lays it out. This Jesus whom you crucified is the son of God. You nailed him to the cross. You godless men who say that you are the people of God. God's chosen people. You are godless. And they responded to Peter and said, and cried out, what shall we do? And he said, repent. And each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. 
And in that moment, the Bible says they were cut to the heart, they were quickened, and the Holy Spirit broke their heart in that moment, and they believed and were baptized. When Stephen preached in Acts 7, they were not brokenhearted and contrite, asking, what shall we do to be saved? They, with one impulse, attacked the messenger and killed him. We don't know what the world is going to do when we go out as missionaries and we tell them the truth that they don't want to hear, whether it's our spouse or our children, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. When we give that advice or when we lean into their lives in some way. But we must lean in. We must lean in because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know how much, or we don't know much about this crowd of killers. But we do know that among them was a very zealous man named Saul, or Paul. He hated what the church was doing. He hated what the church was doing to his community. He hated what the church was doing to his worldview. The church was messing up his world. He didn't like it. Later on, when he writes his letter to the church in Philippi, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to zeal, I was the worst. I was the most zealous to get rid of Jesus' disciples. I wanted to wipe them off the face of the planet. He was at one with this murderous impulse that we see in verse 57. You may know people like that in your life today that you think will never come to Christ. You might be surprised. The Lord arrested his attention later as he was traveling one day. You may know the story. Jesus saved Paul and used him to spread the gospel around the world. The one who murdered one of the first missional apostles became the greatest missionary the world would ever know. I wonder how often Paul thought about that day when he held everyone's coats as they stoned Stephen to death. I wonder what he thought. I wonder how often he thought about Stephen on that day that Stephen decided as a missional disciple to shine his light. To shine the light of the gospel in a crowd of people where he didn't have one single person, not one, pulling for him or accepting the message. As he shined the light of the gospel in that crowd of darkness, I tend to think that it may have been very often that the Apostle Paul thought about Stephen I think Stephen might have been on Paul's mind when he entered into cities like Thessalonica where he was stoned within an inch of his life being run out on a rail. The scene was very much like the scene with Stephen. Or maybe when he went into Rome, maybe when he was imprisoned and he wrote the book to the Philippians saying to them, I'm hard pressed. I don't know what to wish or what to pray to be delivered 
or to continue to suffer for Christ's sake because I know it advances the gospel in you and for you. Or maybe when he went into Athens and he presented the gospel among a massive group of philosopher, theologians, high and mighty thinkers who would probably try to shame him or maybe even imprison him for being a troublemaker. What might Paul's life had been like if Stephen refused to shine the light of the gospel in that dark place in Acts chapter 7? Hmm. Stephen chose to make a difference. Stephen chose to be salt and to be light in a dark place. And that's what missional members, missional disciples in the church must do. That's what we must do. It's all, always a challenge for us to do that, but we must do it. How does Grace Fellowship Church think about missions ministry? How do we think about the growth of the church and the mission of the church how do we think about reaching our community? How do we think about evangelism? This is something that if you're new here, you really want to, you really want to adopt. If you're new to Grace Fellowship Church and to understand about us is that when, when we think of missions and evangelism, we don't just think of missions and evangelism as a program of the church. That in order to do missions, we elect one person to be our missions or evangelism strategist or pastor or minister and that one person creates all these opportunities for missions and then we all sign up for it and then we go and we do it in places like overseas or, or in our community or whatever. That's, that's, not our, that's not our way of operating. And that's not the future vision and mission of our church. It is that each member of the body of Christ here be a missional member. That is, we are all missional when each of us is missional. Right? Imagine. Imagine a church where every family adopts the school where your kids attend. The the neighborhood that you live in, the place where you work, to be thinking about those people constantly, to put their names on prayer cards when you come in, to have everybody else praying for everybody else's mission field, and to pray for those people on a regular basis. We are a body of missional members who each have a distinct mission field with the broader, within the broader field of Maricopa. We all live in Maricopa. So Maricopa is our immediate mission field, but you have a family that I don't have. You have people living on your roof that I don't have, living under mine. You have people that you intersect with in the workplace that I don't intersect with, that other people in this room don't. But you're not alone there. You're not alone there. You have a church body to hold up your arms in ministry as you are salt and light, as you bring flavor and light into that darkness. So we talk about three things. 
as we lean into the lives of other people. How do we do that? How do we lean into the lives of other people? The first step is to intersect with other people. Sounds simple, doesn't it? You've heard me say it over and over again. Your life must intersect with other people. The salt shaker sitting in the middle of the table doesn't do my macaroni and cheese or whatever it is that I'm eating any good unless it comes out of the shaker onto the food. Right? You must intersect with other people. So number one, intersect with people where they are. Intersect with people where they are. Now, it's great to invite people to church. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But, God's intention for His church, members of His church, Christians, is to season and bring light to a dark and flavorless world. Okay? So we must be mobilized. We must go out. That's, that's the first part of being missional. We must intersect people. We see this exemplified in Jesus' ministry to a Samaritan, Samaritan woman, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We touched on it a little bit last week when we talked about worship. When he says to this woman, there, she gets into kind of a debate with him and she's like, well, you know, we worship God, our fathers worship God on this mountain and you people say that you're supposed to worship him in Jerusalem, the temple. And Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. If you rewind at the beginning of this story, Jesus says, that, John says that Jesus had to pass through this way. There were two different ways to get to where they were going. Jesus decided to go this way. What does it mean that he says he had to go this way? Some scholars would interpret it as that Jesus had to go that way if he was ever going to intersect with this woman in order to impact her so that she would impact her community. Now there are many different ways Jesus could have done this. But Jesus chose to send his disciples a different way and he went to a well and had a conversation with a woman who everyone considered unclean and stay away from. She is a, a woman of ill repute. Say it that way. And we learn throughout the story, Jesus pulls things out of her to discover who she is and to show her that the Father loves her just as she is. If she would just trust Jesus, if she would just ask him for living water, he would give her living water, welling up in her soul and overflowing and never ending, not like this well of stagnant, water for drinking no we have that hope within us and God wants us to intersect the lives of normal everyday people who are out in the world living in darkness the salt has to leave the shaker and we have to intersect people where they are this is why Peter says in his letter always be ready Always be ready. This is where preparation comes in. To learn the word, to be taught 
in your church with other believers? How do we engage lost people? How do I engage my friends and co-workers and family members? Always be ready to give an account, to make a defense to people who ask you for the hope that is within you because folks, as we go out, the world is gonna see something different in your life. If you're talking differently, if you won't completely disregard your employer, your boss, if you speak bad about your coworkers like everybody else does in the office, nobody will ask questions about you. But if you live differently among them, they will ask at some point, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Why don't you take advantage of other people so you get the pay raise like everybody else? What's going on? You will have opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Number two, not just intersect people where they are, but number two, relate to people as they are. Relate to people as they are. Now, this is one of the most challenging things for us as missional members of the church. It's because as we go out into a dark world, we don't have that confidence and that maturity as a Christian a lot of times we're so afraid of being sucked into that world that we don't have those spiritual conversations where people are we're too afraid to go where they are right because we're afraid of getting sucked in maybe we were part of that world in our past but we have to think of people as image bearers of God, we have to think of them as precious in God's sight, that God loves them, relate to them as they are, not where you would hope for them to be. Again, going back to Acts 17, Paul does this when he goes into Athens. He speaks their language. He uses their metaphors. He uses the imagery in their city. He understands them where they are. He says, I'm going to go into Athens into a city of philosophers, high and mighty thinkers, and I'm going to speak their language. And he's already thought about how they think, how they talk, and he's saying, hey, Jesus is the answer to all their questions. When, when, they, when they erect a statue to an unknown God because they, they know they're missing something, they have all these statues with the names on them. And then they have one has no name. It just says to an unknown God. So he says, I understand because they're creating the image of God, they, under, they, they at least acknowledge they have a whole. There's something they don't know. Even though these are the know-it-alls. There's something they don't know and they're confessing it by having this statue. Common ground. Right there. And so he says to them when he walks in, I'm proclaiming to you the God that you don't know. He doesn't dwell in temples made with human hands. That's a category they can understand. That God is spirit. Okay, so he's above this. Okay, we get that. He's not served by anyone as if he needs to be served by anything. He's bigger than that. Oh, wow, okay. He's using their language He's having a conversation with them. He's in a very dark place that needs the salt and light of the gospel. He's done his homework and he's coming into the city having a conversation with the philosophers relating to them 
as they are. Now, the Bible tells us that most of them laugh at him and say, you're crazy. There's a very small number of them that the Bible tells us come up to him after his talk and say, we want to hear more of this. Tell us more about this God. So intersect people where they are, relate to people as they are, and then finally we get to the invitation part. Invite people to follow Jesus with you. With you. And this is where discipleship comes in. You're not just inviting people to church, to a church service, and that's okay. But if we're truly missional people, we don't just invite them to a Christian thing. We invite them to the Christian life. We invite them to walk with us. To walk with us. To live with us. Not to just attend a Bible study or a church service with us, but we invite people to follow Jesus with us as I'm following Jesus. Come. Come with me. Come with me. Intersect, relate, and invite. This is how we lean into the lives of other people. This is how we embrace God's call to be missional. 